Hi folks, it's Baron and the Doc here. <laughs> We're here with a quick community announcement. What is it, Baron? Well, uh, we've stuffed the audio up once again on this on one of our episodes. Yes. Unfortunately, it's an episode where we're interviewing a guest. Now, it's Mel Eslin, mm. director of uh, Biosphere. Her audio is fantastic. It's just that our mics weren't working. So ours is a little bit patchy. We've run all the different things <laughs> to try and make it better, the different yes, plugins, and it's not great, but it's okay. But I, I think um, Mel has such good things to say. I think we're really the sideshow. In some respects, I'd rather our audio isn't there at all. It's better if we listen to her. Yeah, so just maybe forget it when we come on. If you can't hear us, don't worry too much. The real goal is with Mel, is with Mel as we talk about her just brilliant film, Biosphere. Absolutely. She has great things to say. You have to hear it. So please stick with this episode. Enjoy the show. Hi, welcome to That Reminds Me Of, a podcast about film and the films that remind us of that film. You're here with Baron and the Doc. And the Maestro. Do we need another drink? Yes, we do. Yeah. Baron, how are you? I'm great, thanks, Doc. Where are we and why are we here? Well, we've just kicked off our coverage of Myth 2023. On site. Yep. Uh, and just been to a, a talk that included several films, one of which was the film we saw last night called Biosphere. <laughs> and today we're here with the director, co-writer, producer of Biosphere, Mel Eslin. Yeah. Hi, guys. Hey. Well, thanks for coming to talk with us. <laughs> thanks for coming to see the movie. <laughs> oh, it was so good. And last night uh, was at the forum. Mm -hmm. I think the forum seats about 600 people. It was packed. It was. It's a beautiful theater. It's a beautiful theater. Yeah. Um, it's a classic for MIF. It's like you know, one of the, the main spots you go. Yeah. People look forward to it every year. And the atmosphere in there last night was so great. Yeah. It's great. Nice. Yeah, it was good. We loved the film, by the way. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much. It was such a such a joy to watch and such a joy to watch with all those people there. And uh, I think the audience, you could hear um, the engagement, that, that feeling you get only when you're in a, a packed theater. Yeah. Yeah. It's a journey, too, that you go through with that film, I find. So if you can f go through it with other people and hear their journey, <laughs> it makes it even better, I Absolutely. hope. Absolutely. Well, normally we give a, a terrible synopsis of whatever film. Okay. But we're going to throw to you because you probably know this film better than anyone. Yeah. I, I hope you do. <laughs> I think I do. I think I do. Yeah. Also because uh, we're trying to keep so much under wraps with this film, kind of because of that journey, because I want it to be authentic and, uh, and you to really go along with it. Um, so what I can say is Biosphere is about the last two men on earth played by Mark Duplass and Sterling K. Brown living in a biosphere. And it's about what they have to do when their food source runs out and how they have to evolve to remain surviving. Fantastic. So my next question was going to, to ask you mm. what you thought about the film. Like pretend Mel isn't here at all, as if it's just us yes. you know, in the studio talking about it. <laughs> it's totally normal. I've already, <laughs> already given it away that you said you loved it, as yeah. did I. Um, but did you have any, any initial thoughts on Yes. That? So one of the things I think is really great about this film is that it, it really sort of straddles comedy and relationship dramas, uh, these two sort of genres in a way. That's, that's how I took it anyway. You could say sci-fi is in there as well. Um, but it really did feel like we were going 
between kind of laugh out loud, ridiculous comedy at times to suddenly, oh wow, this is a very deep relationship moment that we're, that we're experiencing um, and laughing doesn't feel right anymore. Now you're sort of thinking, wow, this is, this is, this is deep, I have to think about this. And then the next moment you're laughing again. So it's this, this great uh, roller coaster ride. It's a fun ride, it's very unexpected. What about you, Jack? What do you think? Well, I just love firstly that it's not what it says on the box. Yeah. So I just wonder how it's been for you talking about this film when there's so much that you don't, you can't say. Yeah, it's hard. It's really hard. I mean, it's. Um, I think it being in the science fiction package really helps, and I kind of constructed it like that on purpose because I knew that if I really told you what this film was about, one, you wouldn't have the same experience, and two, that there might be a whole batch of people who wouldn't sign up for the movie if they really knew where it was going. And I think part of this movie's aim is to challenge people who would not go to this movie normally. And so making it, putting it in the science fiction package and really allowing it to feel like a buddy comedy um, that you're laughing and then suddenly you realize you're being challenged was absolutely the aim. And also I love that moment when you feel the moment or you experience the moment of going from laughter into just intense drama and back again. And I think there's something so beautiful in those shifts. Yeah, well, I think that was effective because um, I was drawn into the film because of what it said, it said on the box. I didn't go in expecting to get what I got, but then I, I really enjoy, you know, um, what That's awesome. You've been running the Duplass Brothers uh, company, right, for mm -hmm. a long time. You've, you've produced a lot of the films and TV shows that they've been involved with. I think people, audiences have come to expect a certain kind of film that, that might feature Mark Duplass, for instance. Mm. And th there's quite a broad variety of what that film could be. Yeah. I, I really didn't know what I was going in for at all, which was, which was a delight. And then to be surprised with where the film ends up going mm -hmm. uh, was even more delightful. So well done. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. I mean, Mark is the person I've worked with more than anybody uh, in my creative career and I, and maybe even me for him. Uh, and so I've seen him do it all, you know? And so I really was like, I'm going to push you somewhere nobody else has. And he's like, you're the person I will let push me in that direction. So that's, um, it feels really special. Beautiful. The kind of point of this show is that we, we, we talk about the film that we've just seen, but we also just delve into references, comparisons. I dig it. We call them what <laughs> We call them reminds me of, which is silly, but that's based off of the idea that every time we've ever seen a film and caught up afterwards, we just almost straight away start going in. It's yeah. Like, you know, I wonder what was on the uh, director's mood board. Like, I wonder. Yeah, yeah. I wonder what they were thinking. This is what I was definitely thinking. About. <laughs> it really remind me of this or that. So we're going to rattle off some things. All right. We reminded of, but we want to hear what you were reminded of as well. We okay. also want to hear if you think that our comparisons or references are stupid or okay <laughs> like any reaction you've got it's all right cool brilliant you want to start i'll, I'll kick it off yeah so i was reminded of melancholia by last from trio uh, okay. and the, the sort of sense of impending doom when they look up in the sky uh, and there's always that in the background of that film and i think in your film it's there as well but it's more complex because it's like the apocalypse has already happened mm -hmm. and, and you've got this light, in the, this green light in the sky that means 
something and it could be impending doom, but it could it can also mean hope. But it's like an un, a symbol I, I felt of an uncertain future, you know, in mm-hmm. today's landscape, you've got climate, you've got gender identity, you've got AI, all these things that we don't know which way they're going to go. Yeah. So I, I just felt some melancholia vibes, but, you know, building on that. I haven't heard that, but I like that. Yeah, I can feel that for sure. Yeah, it is. It's dark, but it's hopeful. And I think so much of this movie is just about not telling you which one it is or allowing it to be both, you know. So that, that green light in the sky was a beautiful foundation to the film and thrust the narrative forward with this, this symbol, like I said, of uncertainty. Did it mean anything specific to you or was it meant to be kind of a, a vague? A little bit vague, but really hope is probably the easiest way to say it. I definitely wasn't consciously thinking about The Great Gatsby, but that's also something I get a lot of. It reminds me of the green light across the way, which I guess is that one's more hope or more longing, but a little bit of hope. And I think it could be that too. I think there is this longing for the past and this unknown of the future for them. Now, this is this is one that just sounds so stupid, but you cannot watch this film, I think, without thinking about Biodome <laughs> and Foley Shaw. Of course, and yeah. When I first realized what was going on in this film, I, I had, I, hope, I don't think this gives too much away, but I had Biodome meets a certain Arnie film. Mm. In, in my mind as just like the stupid this is the stupidest way that you could describe this film yeah <laughs> no I mean? it's so spot on because there are some really like heady you know like I said challenging themes in this and when Mark and I first started talking about these characters we kept referencing Dumb and Dumber because we're like we want these guys to be just total idiots that it's like stupid comedy and a little bit even outdated comedy, you know, which I think even Biodome, you could veer in that direction. Uh, And so like the two least likely guys to be set on this challenging course. There's something in that because you're leaning on something that feels really familiar. You're leaning on on some ideas that we've seen before in comedy, mm-hmm. but then you, but then, so you sort of take people in. Yeah. You think, here's, here's what you, you think you're going to get. Yeah. And you take them on a, on a real journey. So it's like, if you were to take those two films and just not make them dumb, but make them actually really smart. Yeah. That's where you get to with this, I think. Yeah, that was the hope. I mean, we <laughs> definitely watched Biodome uh, for reference, <laughs> for research. No, it was more just like we were hanging out one night and we're like, we should probably watch it. Because everyone's going to mention it. Exactly. Right. I love bouncing between genres when you can and when it feels of one piece, ultimately. Maybe you can jump in with what were any of your references? What was on your mood board? What were the things that you and Mark discussed in terms of films or TV or even books, whatever it might be? Yeah, it's crazy because... I get asked that question of like, what were your inspiration films? And I'm really bad at picking films. It's more a book or a painting or a song. Um, In this case, it was a lot of cultural references. You know, when Mark first pitched me this idea, all he said was, it's the last two men on earth living in a biodome and they're obsessed with Mario and Luigi. So from there, it was just like expanding upon you know, Super Mario Brothers. And I'm like, well, what other cultural references? And I was like, what did I grow up with? Oh, Lethal Weapon. There's a great, you know, because this is a movie that's all about kind of examining toxic male masculinity. And I'm like, this is a perfect example. Like, and also I loved Lethal Weapon growing up. And then I go back and I watch it and I'm like, there's some toxicity to this and some really um, 
you know, it's just like this male way of uh, not feeling comfortable being intimate, especially straight men. You know, we haven't seen a lot of straight male intimacy and bonding in media. And so I was like, what's the most extreme other version of that? You know, Lethal Weapon. And, and also Sneakers was another movie that I always loved and made me cry all the free time. So I was like, I got to throw in that one of them is emotionally moved by sneakers and never wants to admit it. So yeah, it was a lot of weird, random things pulled in. Yeah. That's great. I, I think that points to the fact that you, you were really working on a, on a theme as well. Like mm -hmm. Lean too heavily on, you know, films, this, this, you know, all of the films that have maybe inspired you to come to this point, but like there was a, a really strong sort of central theme or an idea that you wanted to, to, to play on. How would you position that? Or what have you distilled the theme down? I mean, I've got ideas about hope versus sort of logical scientific thinking. Yeah. Oh man. I mean, it really is that I think, um, Amongst all of it, we have to have hope. And I really think that um, the other core theme is that, you know, to evolve as humans, we have to be willing to expand our definitions. And especially when it comes to self-definition, you know, I think we live in such this culture that is so afraid of people defining themselves outside the box, outside of the cultural norm. But I do think if we open our minds up to that, there's so much... Uh, evolution and progress and hopeful growth for all of us. It's funny, you, you said most of your influences that you can think of come from things other than film. Yeah. And with this one, I, I was the same. I thought Kafka. Okay. <laughs> the idea of kind of starting with a crazy concept. Yeah. Just running with it. Yeah. You know, if you just put it out there and keep going. Yeah. It allows everyone to suspend disbelief and just go with the story and you have several moments where you really had to suspend disbelief yeah but you went quickly with beautiful pace through them so that you really don't have time to say no that's that's ridiculous or yeah anything like that there was a particular kafka short story called a report to an academy and it has an ape um, okay giving a an address to a bunch of academics okay basically charting his transformation from a, an ape to a human by being, becoming civilized. Yeah. And I just thought putting an ape on stage talking to people was kind of akin just to some of the, the things just you throw in there. I love that reference, that's rad. George Saunders is another writer who I'm like, just giving this insane concept and moving quick. I mean like, this is, don't worry about it. We're over here now, you know, I think. So I love that reference. It's, it's the, the moving quick, I think, that really impressed me is just how your mind works with your, your writing. And I wondered what your writing process is because you're succinct and economical with with ev with everything, like mm -hmm. small location, small cast in this, not many plot points that mm -hmm. just well executed. Did you start with with it being that concise and just execute it, or was it this big thing that you gradually pared down into children? Is it was that to begin with, and I think that comes from like 15 years of producing where you do it the other way around where, you know, I've produced so many people's like first feature where it's just like everybody goes big. And then by the end you hone it in. And I was like, I've, I've learned my lesson. And also just knowing so much has to be solved in post if you don't do the planning ahead of time. 
So I really like dug in and I was actually like weirdly in lockdown. This, this concept had nothing to do with the pandemic. It just so happened timing wise when I sat down to really do the final draft was during lockdown. So I had this time to just do draft after draft after draft. And I'm a big believer in feedback. Send your art to everybody you trust and even to people you don't trust. And every little opinion is going to seep into you and allow you to make decisions. All, all those good points about it. I also found language lessons. That was a great one where we were forced into, here's all we have. Like we're going to go on Zoom and We've got like five of us on Zoom. Everybody turn your camera off, two people. I was being very kind to myself as a first time feature director to know, like I'm just gonna set myself up for as much success as I can from the start. Yeah, it, it, it struck me that you've, you've done all the right things there in terms of it's a, it's a two-hander, it's contained, not a lot of visual effects or any of these sorts of things to sort of get in the way or make it bigger than it needs to be. Um, and yet you, you also built this entire um, biosphere. Mm-hmm. So you, you, you put money in a smart place, I think, to make it feel a little grander than, than what it would have, would have otherwise been. Yeah. So I don't know if there's a question there other than just, you know, like, well done. But Thank you. I can get Mark Dublas to work for very cheap, so yeah. <laughs> that helps too. <laughs> Absolutely. That's great. In, in terms of reminds me of, another thing that I kept thinking about was the movie Men, which came out. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and, and also 10 Cloverfield Lane and... Okay. The bunker quality. Yeah, yeah. Um, however, that's a thriller. It goes off in all its own weird ways. Yeah. But I had that thing banging around my head. It was like, oh, it's a little like men, but if you were to squeeze it into 10 Cloverfield Lane. And, yeah. Know, oh, that dig that. Yeah. Really contained. Whereas men sort of is, um, if you're a man watching that film, it's kind of horrific to get. Yeah. Your film is a lot, not complicated but maybe just a little bit nicer on men i try to show a bit of compassion (laughs) yes (laughs) and and yet um addresses you know some similar things yeah they're not great guys you know but i still think every human deserves a little bit of compassion if we can't give them that then we can't expect them to grow and there's always this discussion of you can have flawed characters it doesn't mean that the filmmaker believes in the same thing that these characters do and i think ultimately I didn't want these guys to get away with their quote-unquote flaws or their closed-mindedness or their prejudices. That was a big thing, is giving them that space for the growth. I don't know if men, men was, man, men was intense. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. but good. It's almost as if men, you know, explore some of the problems. And then Melbourne's explored some of the answers. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, okay, what happens after you crawl out of the last version? (laughs) Yeah. One of the things that really stuck out to me was the score. It's intense, mm-hmm. beautiful. Yeah. It feels in a way like it's adding to the theme of the film and it's it's just so paired back and smart. So tell us a little bit about how you came, came to this score. So years ago, like 11 years ago, I produced this film called The One I Love and I had brought on these composers, Danny Bensey and Sondra Jurians, and specifically because that was a, it's weirdly like kind of full circle, also a two-hander with Mark that had a weird tone and it was an intimate film housed in science fiction. And so when I found Danny and Saunder and could see that, that they could be, they could tackle that complexity and the cross genres, I knew they would be perfect for this. Um, 
And I definitely am somebody who kind of, I plan and I, I have really my idea of what I want from the start, except with music on this one, I was like, I can't place exactly what's right. So I just kind of turn it over to them. I mean, I think some of the best directors need to just bring on the right people and trust them. So I just gave them like a vomit of like, here's my feelings, nothing musical per se. And then they went off and they sent me within a couple days, just this track of Saunders voice singing. And I thought it was so brilliant. And I don't even know if they meant for that to be the whole soundtrack, but we had this moment where we're like, what if we just have voices and almost no instrumentation and didn't even realize it at the time. I was like, there's something subconsciously happening when you hear these voices and now I look back and go, Oh God, what are, are they the ghosts of humans of the past? You know? And, and it made you feel like somebody else was in that dome with them or somebody else was commenting on what's happening and the journey and the growth in there and made it feel bigger too. Uh, so it was, that was like a beautiful find along the way. Wonderful. And I, got the feeling uh, that as the film goes on, those voices, they start off quite masculine. Mm -hmm. And as the film goes on, they sort of change. Yeah. Um, is that something that you, that was purposefully done? A bit. Yeah. It was, it definitely was a growth in where the voice could go and the form it could take and a blurring of the lines of masculine versus feminine. Uh, so that by the end, you can't tell the difference, you know. Reminded me a little bit of Arrival. Oh, yeah, yeah. In terms of like the use of voices, uh, that was really more to sort of bring the idea of language, uh, I think, into the sides. Of it. Yeah. It, it feels almost like the two guys in the film have, have sat down and made the score for themselves. Yeah, or it's like their inner voice. Correct, <laughs> like, yes. Yeah. yeah. You mentioned Lethal Weapon. Mm -hmm. It reminded me of, of movies like The Lighthouse, you know, where... Yeah. Two blokes are stuck in a in a confined space and go on a, a journey of their their own transformations with each other. Those buddy films, you know, that's one of the things that probably got people in the science nerds. And oh yeah, buddy film nerds. <laughs> yeah, and then you just blew their minds. Well, when and also when people see the movie and then they go back and they're like, "Wait, Lethal Weapon." It's yeah. it's a weird reference for this film, um, but it's so. I mean, there's some references I could give where I'm like, "Oh, it's gonna be." It's going to be a plot. Uh, yeah. There is one um, Virginia Woolf book uh, that, yeah, that I'm like, oh, if I, could, I can't say it, but hopefully people realize after they've seen it what I'm talking about. I'm now disappointed that I hadn't thought of that one, but perfect. So there's a lot that you don't say in this film, mm -hmm. and you leave a lot to the audience's imagination, yeah. particularly towards the end. We've heard you talk about this earlier today, but just for our audience, what's your take on... Uh, like what you leave to the imagination, what you, how much you want to explain versus yeah. explain, what that means to the film overall. Yeah, I the not explaining is a very deliberate choice. It's not that I don't have ideas. It's that I don't necessarily think you should give everything to an audience. I know my favorite art is when there's space allowed for me to project onto it and to bring my own experiences and thoughts and feelings and sort of to be creative within somebody else's art form. And so that was a very big thing for me of just giving that space to the audience. Like if I say the worst thing in the world they did and they destroyed the world, we're all going to have our own different versions of what's the worst thing in the world. What did they actually do? And I think it's 
it's almost better when you're allowed to think of what your worst version is, you know? Absolutely agree. I'm picking a way to finish might be just to delve a little bit into your career and, and what's next. So you've been an honorary plus sibling. Yes, you know, for, for a while, yeah. <laughs> How does it feel to have broken into your own, you know, to the start of a new career? Yeah, it, it's phenomenal. It's amazing. I mean, it's, uh, I always say like, I sort of like accidentally went down this like detour called Mark Duplass, which was not my plan at all. There was just something about like, we had a very similar mindset of how to go about making this art form and navigating this industry, sort of this like punk rock mentality of like, can we just do it on our own? And so that was really exciting. I love helping other people make their dreams come true. So I just got really carried away with producing for a very long time. But also as a producer, depending on the type of producer, but I do think some of the best producers are sort of they're another director on set. And a lot of times it's like a thankless job because you're doing a lot of it, you know, but not ever getting the credit, but artistically you're getting that fulfillment. And especially, you know, I've produced a lot of actors first films. And so you are their eyes and ears at the monitor, you know, actually the footage more than they do. And so that, that made me so much more prepared for this. And I think most first time feature directors are, but now that I was able to finally do it, which was really just the pandemic happening and a lot of life things happening and like losing people during the pandemic and realizing I was going to turn 40 soon and like getting very like reflective and going, oh, I have to do this now. And so now that I've done it, though, I'm like, oh, God, it's such a good feeling. So it's been amazing because I think Mark and Jay have always been super supportive. And I think now that I've sort of quote unquote proven it to them, they're like, yeah, why aren't we doing more? So it's, it's kind of cool because we each now have our own projects while we support each other. And Mark and I already have our next project that's in the can that we shot end of last year that just hasn't been announced. I mean, we have plenty coming out as producers, but Definitely, uh, I'm excited for the next feature, for sure. So good. Quickly, I'm reminded of Mario and Luigi. It's not something that I realized until much later, but there is this theme of, you know, Mario and Luigi, and why is it the Mario brothers? You know, poor Luigi's in the background, and, you know, there's this joke Mark and I had of, like, well, Luigi's probably the secret sauce because he's the most level-headed and actually, like, gets everything done, but Mario gets all the credit. And later, after the fact, Mark was like, you know that that's our relationship. And I'm like, well, I didn't want to say it. But, like, but he's like, I'm the Duplass brother. I'm the one out there. I'm an actor. And he's like, nobody realizes you're my secret sauce, you know. And so there was this sort of beautiful, like, passing of the baton where he's like, go be Mario. Like, it's all good. This is how it was meant to be. Let's start becoming. Let's take turns. Who's going to be Mario each time? And then there's Jay who I guess is the princess in this scenario. I don't know. He's, a, he's somehow in there. Yeah. That's great. Hey, we have to let you get on with the rest of your MIF tour, I guess. Awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah, that. thank you guys. Yeah, this was rad. Great chat. Thanks. Yeah, that was awesome. Right.